first of all, he will around here is treated like a god. I mean, I'll never find out what he could really do. I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show. I am your host, Billy Powell. You can go to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive. That's all one word, keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com and listen to over 185 interviews, most of which are about the game from the game of basketball from the state of Indiana. And all the others have a six degrees of separation with the game of basketball from Indiana, if you can believe that or not. But we have over 185 episodes on keeping the nostalgia live.podbean.com. Please feel free to go over there and download them and listen to them at your convenience. We also have a new YouTube channel. It's the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show. If you type that into the search bar, you'll uh, find our uh, shows on there also. We have just started doing some video interviews, which is uh, we're trying to work the kinks out on that, but uh, it's going to come out on top. Uh, with that all being said, with us today is Jimbo Rail. Of course, Jimbo Rail is the legendary uh, Jimmy Rail's son. Uh, but uh, you could also call Jimbo Rail a little bit uh, uh, legendary, number five for Tara Hune uh, in the movie Hoosiers. And uh, just before we hopped on here, we were talking about the jumping rope. And I don't think I could jump rope. And Jimmy says he tries to do between 6000 and 9000 a week. Jimmy, Jimbo Rail, thank you so much for joining us and spending some time to help keep the nostalgia alive. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me, Billy. I've been looking forward to this. Uh... We had a good we had a good time on that Hoosiers uh, uh, Zoom, didn't we, last week? Oh, that was that was so much fun. That's the that was the third or second Zoom. I've done three Zooms now. That was the second one that I that I've done, and uh, man, those things are pretty cool. Yeah, it's it was it, it was disappointing though because uh, uh, Nathan didn't hit the record button. I did, but I couldn't get any audio. But there was a lot of good stuff that would have been a good share on uh, social media or for people to listen and watch. That would have been. I and I I'm not uh, high tech enough to. I didn't know how to record it or anything like that. So I had Jordan Mount actually send me a, a screenshot of the of our all of us on there. So I got that, but I don't have any of the the video or anything like that. So yeah. Uh, uh, Jimbo, when 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 did you what at what age did you realize your, your your dad had ball skills or what age were you introduced to the game of basketball? Is it still in your memory? Uh well I was actually introduced to the game of basketball when I was probably right around nine or ten at the we had in Kokomo we had church leagues. So I played for Main Street United Methodist and uh you know, my dad never coached or anything like that. He, there's always other people coaching, but they'd always the coaches that would coach us would always talk about my dad, how great he was and this and that. And I kind of started realizing how good he was when I was probably about nine or 10. So, Did you win that first organized basketball game that you played in? Uh, actually, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if we did or not, but I, I do know right before the church league, my mom and dad had enrolled me into the YMCA, like peewee basketball or little dribblers or whatever they called it. And I got so scared, I played one game and told my I wasn't playing anymore. I, I think that was like when I was eight or nine. But So my real basketball started when I was at Main Street Methodist and played on the church league team. So. I was, I was a, man, I can't remember how old I was, but it was a Tabernacle Tab on 34th Street in Indianapolis, which has a, a lot of uh, basketball names have come out of Tab. Uh, just most recently, George Hill, who played for the Pacers and 
and uh, the uh-huh. Spurs and uh, and now for the Bucks. But I remember uh, we lost twenty to two, but I scored our team's only two points. Well, that's that's pretty good. You got all the points. But look, man, several that's times, pretty... several times when I would get the ball, I'd just run with it. So you know, my dribbling skills, evidently, I had zero. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's it's funny. I mean, you don't realize you, thinking back, you don't realize how little you knew about basketball when you were that age. It's just crazy. So was it, how long was it until you uh, really realized, you know, what your dad was really all about? I mean, or did that sink in? Because, you know, at that age, when we're young like that, because I'm pretty sure that we're pretty close in age, maybe by a couple of years, you don't really yeah. realize, you know, you, you've got your own life. Going, the, the world's all about you rather than uh, your mom or dad. So when was it that you realized that, you know, your dad was the real deal? Uh, probably really probably high school age. I started realizing cause you know, you start, you start following the NBA when you're, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And then, you know, high school, you start realizing how good these players are in the college game. And you realize how hard it is to even get to the college level. And then you sit back and think, well, my dad played high school, college pros, and he played at a high level. So, I mean, you realize how hard that is once you, I think when you get to about high school age, what kind of an accomplishment that was for him to do that. So, but when you're a kid, like, you know, 11, 12 years old, it's just your dad. You don't even, you're kind of embarrassed sometimes when people bring him up, you know, when they're talking about him. So, Your name, Jimbo, did it come, where, where did that come from? Do you know? Uh, I think my dad just started calling me out to differentiate from him and me, you know, Jimbo. <laughs> Bo, I have a bunch of people, my, a lot of my friends just call me Bo, so, but it's kind of, you know, I, I kind of went back to it as I got older because of Jimbo Fisher, the football coach. Right. I, I figured it was cool enough for him to be Jimbo, I could still be called Jimbo. Yeah, well, Jimbo's a $100 million man, too, down here at Texas A&M, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, when did you start to get a little bit serious about your game of basketball, and uh, was it was it easy for you? Uh, probably about my, well, my freshman year is when I really started to have, I started really focusing on, on practicing and trying to get better because my freshman year, I started out on the freshman B team and I was not happy about that, but by mid season, I was starting on the JV. So I really started taking it serious when I realized that I had a lot of work to do to catch up and, you know be where I was supposed to be. So high school is when I really started taking it serious. You know, and that's uh, when I quit playing, you, you, quit you know, playing baseball. Okay. Right? You know, a lot of people have read and know about you, you know, hitting 75 in a row before they started to take a break there in, um, in Hoosiers. And um, uh-huh. is that something that you kind of focused on when you were on the B team uh, as a freshman? Did you just uh, go out and uh, shoot shots over and over and over? Or, or what did you do to uh, bring your game up? just basically doing a lot of shooting drills. I mean, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, my goal was to shoot 20,000 free throws. So to do that, you basically have a hundred days. And back when we were in school, we had like a, almost a hundred days as summer vacation. So my goal was to shoot 200 day for a hundred days, which would be 20,000 and which I ended up doing. So, with those free throws, shooting 20,000 free throws, and then all the jump shots that I shot, I mean, it was probably anywhere from 40 to 50,000 shots I shot that summer. So basically, basically, just doing shooting drills. 
I, I probably needed to work more on my, my dribbling, but were there weights involved within uh, uh, that uh, uh, that summer? Uh, lifting weights and stuff. Yeah. No, we. I never. I never lifted weights. My dad wouldn't let me. He thought it would mess my shot up. <laughs> so no, I never did any weights. And, and so, did you have when you were growing up? Did you have like a? Uh, a favorite team that you followed, a favorite pro player that you followed that you kind of, you know how sometimes as little kids will fascinate, you know, uh, Dr. J takes the ball to the to the hole or, or, you know, did you have anybody that you kind of enjoyed watching or kind of tried to emulate your game by or was it, uh, you know, I, I'm Jimbo Rail? Well, you know, in my in my bedroom, I had a Calvin Murphy, Houston Rockets poster. I always liked little Calvin Murphy just because he could pull up deep and fill it up. But really, Scott Skiles was the when I was a freshman when Skiles was a senior in high school and they won the state in '82. And then his career at Michigan State, I kind of I wanted to play like Scott Skiles. That's who I wanted to play like. But obviously, I didn't have that kind of skill. But I tried to emulate him as much as I could. So. Uh, and what what a uh, what a state champion or final four to watch uh, when uh, he was playing with Plymouth, wasn't it? Oh, that was that was that was the best final four I've ever been to. D- did you ask for advice from your dad? Did your dad want to give you advice, or did he kind of leave you alone and let you uh, uh, learn on your own? He would give me advice, but he wasn't as hands on as like I am with my son. He wasn't really. He told me what I had to do if I didn't do it. That was up to me to do it. He would he would take off for work, you know, in the morning and say, "Hey, you need to get your shots in and get it done." And, and he'd get home, said, "Did you do it?" And some days I didn't do it. And he'd be, you know, he'd you know basically tell me, "Hey, you need to do that if you want to get better." You know, so I was always good at procrastinating. If I I could put it off, I would. But but I'd end up getting it done sooner or later. Is is being Jimmy Rail's son kind of like uh, being the coach's son? Is it is it is a is it a hard rap to come up from underneath? It is it is it something that from everything that I've seen and read, it seems like you handled it uh, um, uh, just amazingly. But I mean, what is that like? Or you know, give a little bit of you know because there's a lot of like you know I've, uh, I've interviewed Sam Alford, uh, you know, and you know, it, it, and a lot of other play, uh, people that have played for their dads or you know, vice versa. And you know, it, it, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's easy, but it seems like it was kind of smooth with you. Well, that, that's one thing. He never did coach me when I was, like, on a team. Right. He never did coach me that way. But, you know, it was tough because I knew what he expected from me. But if if he was if he were my coach, like, say he was my coach in the high school level, I think it would have been a lot different dynamic. It would have been – I might have scored more. I, I don't know. He may have given me more freedom to shoot. Like, kind of like when Steve Alford played for his dad. If Steve wasn't playing for his dad, he probably wouldn't. I mean, he probably, he would have scored a lot of points, but when your dad's coaching, your, your dad's going to let you do a little bit more than somebody else. And that's kind of I've, – I've, I help out at Kokomo High School now, and uh, the head coach there is uh, Bob Wannell, and he's got a son on the team, Bobby Wannell, and he's a really good player. But I see I see the friction between him and his dad, too, and they're, when they're, it, there's, it's tough to coach your own son, too, so there's a lot of – a lot of toughness there coaching your own son. 
What was your basketball, high school basketball career, uh, career like? Can you give us a little bit of rundown through it? Uh, my well, so my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, I played for Kokomo Hayworks, which was the second school in Kokomo. It's kind of it was only here for, I think, about seventeen years. But my senior year, like combined schools, so I played my senior year at Kokomo. So the first, my first two varsity seasons were at Hayworth and. You know, we were just an average team. We played in the Olympic Conference. Uh, I think Carmel was in our conference and Huntington North. We were we were a decent team, but my senior year when we went together with Kokomo, we had probably one of the one of the best teams in the state. We get, ended up getting beaten in the semi-state by uh, East Chicago with Kenny Lofton and uh, Freeman West, and I mean they were a really good team. Kenny Lofton ended up playing in the major league in baseball for you know, 12, 13 years, I think. So. Yeah, that, I know uh, one of the people that I've interviewed, he was a, an outstanding, he was a national champion with uh, the Evansville Aces, I think in 1958 was Coach Harold Cox, and I think he actually started out the Kokomo Hayworth uh, program there for a little while in Kokomo. He, he did, he did. Yeah, Harold's a good guy. I, I actually was at a Fishers game with him uh, this past season. So, yeah, Harold's a great guy. Super guy. It's always fun with those old coaches. Uh, you know, I have them on. We're, you know, at the beginning, they're kind of like, well, how long are we going to talk? And I said, eh, normally about 45 minutes. And they're, especially Harold was, what am I going to talk about for 45 minutes? And with Harold, we had uh, <laughs> two uh, one-and-a-half-hour segments. Oh, that's great. Harold, he, he's a good storyteller. He, he, and then his brother, Earl, his brother, Irwin Cox, is here in Kokomo. He played for Drake. He was a, a really good basketball player. Yeah, I just got a DVD to him of uh, because he was teammates with uh, uh, Bob Nettelicky, who went on hunt went yep. and played with the Pacers uh, of Drake in Iowa, and uh, I've interviewed him, and he was he was he was a little less talkative than uh, Harold, his brother, but he he he, uh-huh. he, re- he reeled the stories out. So so what was it like to you're at Kokomo, and you know this is the place your dad played, and the, the Kokomo basketball is just uh, so. Uh, uh, rich traditionally in, in the game of basketball. What was it like to, to play at the same place that your dad played? You know, it, it was it was really, now that I sit back and look at it, it's really cool because now when I'm coaching at Kokomo, I'm in that gym, I'm just kind of like, man, my dad played here, I played here, my son's going to play there this next season. So, I mean, it's just, my brother played there, my brother was on the team and got runner-up in the state in 89. So there's just a lot of it. And I, I think of all the other players that have played there that are were great players. Goose Ligon. I mean, there's there's so many great players that have played in Memorial Gym. It's just, but the play where my dad played that, it, it was pretty special. And, and did you let your senior season go by? Was it was it like a flash and, and going into the semi-state? Or did you take some time and take it all in? I didn't take any of it. And I, <laughs> my dad told me the very last game, he said, you know, when they do the senior night, and you know, you got with your parents on the floor. He said, now this is going to be pretty much, you're never ever going to do this again. And I thought, yeah, well, yeah, I didn't think, it, it didn't even cross my mind that that was even, a, you know, going to be a sad moment. I just went out and they introduced us and we went and played the game and then the season's over. But when you get older, you look back and like, man, I didn't, I kind of took that for granted, really. Do you think the first, do you think if all four years would have been at Kokomo, it would have been a little bit different rather than uh, uh, being at Hayworth before they consolidated? 
Yeah, I think it would have been. I, I think I would have probably made the thousand point club in Howard County. Um, I think that. Uh, well, we had Kokomo had really good teams. You know, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year. So yeah, I mean, we would have won some sectionals. Uh, I don't. We were we won the only regional my senior year in the whole career of Carl McNaughty, who was our coach. So I don't know. Winning that Anderson regional was always tough, but uh, yeah, things would have probably been different if I played at Coconut Wall four years. And, and what's funny, what's funny is I tried to, my dad tried all kind of angles to get me to Kokomo. We were three blocks away from the Kokomo uh, district where we lived at. So it was a, uh, something I wanted to play there, you know, from the time I was a, a kid, but didn't get to until my senior year. You, you know, speaking of legends, uh, uh, what was uh, playing for Coach McNulty like? You know, Coach McNulty was a, he had a lot of uh, confidence in me, which I, that of all the coaches I had, well, Coach of IPFW, were, they, they gave me the green light to shoot. But Carl was he was he was hard nosed. He did he didn't put up with any crap. He was the toughest coach I ever played for. And uh what's funny with Carl, he was real you know, I was kind of scared of him when I played for him. But the last couple of years of his life he just passed away back in January. His grandson, good friends with Carl's son and and Carl's grandson plays is the same age as my daughter my daughter's a cheerleader so i went to a lot of the games and i would sit with carl and we'd talk about the game and you know he was this you know this 80 some year old guy and he's real calm and mellow now he's not wasn't the mean coach that he was when when i played for him it's kind of cool to hang out with him like that what what were some of the do you remember some of the how was recruiting like that for college basketball back then and do you remember the first couple of letters that uh, you got for possibly playing basketball for a college and why did you pick uh, uh, who you ended up picking? Well, what I had uh, several my freshman and sophomore year I got a bunch of letters because I was a Street and Smith honorable mention All American which. Uh, the reason I think I got that, the guy that did that was a good friend of my dad's. His name was Dave Kreider. Mm-hmm. And he picked the Street and Smith All-Americans. Well, once you get on that Street and Smith Honorable Mention All-American, you get these colleges. Back then, they just sent you letters in the yeah. mail. And you fill out the, the stuff. And I mean, I had stacks of letters. But there was only schools that I actually, you know, applied to the school and had to get accepted to the school and it was the two schools were stanford and butler were the two schools that i filled out an application got accepted to the school but then i didn't get a didn't get any scholarship offers so i went my senior year with no scholarship offer like i mean i could have went to there was a, a school in georgia called oglethorpe that i had a a connection to that I could have gone there, but there was no scholarship money for it. It's, you know, it's a, it was a division three. And then my dad had a coach at Murray state, a friend of his, Steve Newton. And I didn't want to go that far away from home. It was about an eight hour drive. And I, so I ended up, what I ended up doing my freshman year, I went to ball state just to go to school. And, uh, 
I was I was really missing. But I didn't want to. If I wasn't playing Division One, I, I didn't really want to. You know, I didn't. I was just going to give basketball up. So I went to Ball State for a year, and but I kept playing basketball. And uh, one of my good friends from Kokomo was playing for IPFW at the time. They were Division Two Great Lakes Valley Conference, and uh, he said, "Hey, Coach Russell would really like you to come up and play up here next year." So I went up there and, you know, visited and I just, that's where I decided to play. Well, then after my sophomore year, coach Russell gets, he gets fired. And then the new coach that comes in, Andy Piazza, he has a meeting with all the returning players. And, uh, he basically tells me he came, he came from a junior college up in Michigan. And he basically told me that, Hey, I've got my junior college kids coming in. He goes, I'll keep you on the team. There's not, you won't get any scholarship money, and uh, you probably won't get any playing time. So I'll, he said, I'll leave the decision up to you if you want to st- stay or not. And my and my teammate from Kokomo, he, he graduated. He was a senior that year. So I you know, I called and talked to my dad about it. I said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. And that was the end of it. So I played one year at IPFW. And they played in the same conference as the University of Indianapolis, right? Indianapolis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, St. Joseph's. And uh, I remember when we played at the University of Indianapolis, my buddies, I had a couple of buddies from Kokomo played football for uh, Indianapolis. They'd sit down there on the sidelines and just harass me the whole (laughs) game. It was was kind of fun. So what what year did you graduate from Kokomo? 85. 85. And you were what? You were 86 from Broad Ripple? Uh, yes, 86 from Broad Ripple. So, okay. and, and we have a little bit of six degrees of separation from us with, you know, um, I, I want to get into your story, but, you know, uh, we, uh, our high school got a phone call and said, hey, they're making this sports movie. They need fans to come to uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse and, and play. And, of course, Broad Ripple was to play Shatar. And, of course, at halftime, they filmed the championship game of Hoosiers. But I'd like to take it from uh-huh. the top on how you got the the how you got the phone call to showing up with your own basketball to to, to take us through that process and how much that how exciting how much fun that was being or what, did you think it was going to even be what it has you know it's the number one sports movie uh, in America once again but uh, take us take us yeah. from the top with that well so the summer between my so it would have been my end of my senior year in high school so it was the summer of eighty five. Me and my buddies were just hanging out in Kokomo, drinking beer and just kind of just doing our thing, you know, just getting ready. We're all going to college, you know, in the in the fall. And we're listening to Q95 because that's what everybody listened to back then. And uh, they're the talking Bob about and Tom auditions. show. <laughs> yeah, the Bob and Tom show. They're talking about these auditions for this basketball movie. So me and my buddy said, "Hey, let's let's we're not doing anything. Let's go down there." So we drove down to IUPUI. I was during, during the week. I think it was in the morning, some like a Wednesday or Thursday morning. And there must have been 500, 600 people there lined up to do these auditions. And uh, as we're waiting in line, Maris Bellinas, who got Jimmy Chitwood, he's the one that had his own basketball. I'm sorry. He came in with yeah. He came in with his own basketball. And, all the guys are like, they're looking at him, who's this clown? What's he got his own basketball for? <clears throat> so, literally, we know he's going to 
I'm probably the only one that even remembered him. The guys I was with, they didn't get in the movie. So I see him later on when we're filming. And I'm like, that's the dude that had the basketball. Cause he had that, he kind of had that unique look to him anyway. So anyway, at the auditions, they just had us basically scrimmaging. We had to, you know, give them our name. And well, as soon as I gave him my name, all the guys there instantly knew who I was because they were all IU guys. David Anspaugh, Angelo Pizzo, another guy that was there, they were all for Sigma News at IU, which my dad was a Sigma News. So I'm th- already I'm already thinking in my mind, man, I might have a chance to get this movie. <laughs> so after that audition was done, they they after we got them playing, they actually called me over and said, hey, we're gonna we need uh, a way to reach you. We need to have another. You're gonna be called back for another audition in a couple of days. So we had to, so I had to give them all my information. They got a hold of me. I came down like two, two days later, they had another little basketball thing. And then they had, uh, had us read lines from like, uh, they gave us like scripts to, to read the lines. And, uh, I think at this time there was probably 50 to 60 kids left. Well, I made it past that cut down to the final 20 and had to come back like two more days later and meet with the casting director and uh, just kind of interviewed with him. And then they had us pick the lines of the main Hickory players, which I think what was there six or seven. They gave us the script. I, I went through, I went through and picked the one that had the least amount of lines on it that I could memorize real quick. And it was it ended up being uh oh the religion I can't think of the guy's name in the movie now. But he's his dad was the had one that had the bus right. and uh, he's the one that prayed all the time. Right. That's the that's the part I auditioned for. But when we auditioned this time, they brought us into this room after we memorized the lines and it was like we were on a set with uh it was either David Anspar or Angelo Pizzo with us. And we were acting out the parts with them on the set. And they had like Tom Abernathy and Tom Abernathy is actually the first person I saw when I walked in. And I was like, I was kind of like instantly nervous when I saw him because he's sitting in these chairs, like watching me do these lines with uh, David or Angela. I can't remember which one, but and I I couldn't get the like. I was flubbing up on all the, the lines and everything. They, they, and they tried to help me and I just never get it was. So I didn't get one of the main parts, but they called me back, you know, near the end of the summer and said, Hey, we're going to have a part for you in the movie. We'll be in touch with you. And, you know, at that time I was already, when we started filming, I was already enrolled at Ball State. So I didn't miss a whole week of classes to do the filming and stuff. And we did all our filming in Brownsburg. And then the movie came out. The next, see, it would have been the fall of 86 is when the movie came out. And I was at IPFW at the time. So that's when all the NCAA <laughs> things came out where I got money to play basketball. And so IPFW, they, they, they set something up with the NCAA that I had to pay a percentage of the money back. And I had to set out my first three games of the season with IPFW. 
So in, it ended up, I ended up being the first player suspended by the NCAA at IPFW. <laughs> so, and and is it true? More, got, and, and is it true that you uh, you sent a check, but it wasn't cashed? They never cashed the check. <laughs> I sent a personal check to, to Orion Pictures, and it never got cashed. I can't even remember how much the check was for. I, it was it wasn't a lot of money. It was, I mean, maybe a hundred bucks or one hundred and fifty bucks, something like that. But it was a percentage of what I made is what I had to send back. So. Did and you, never cashed. I had, go did, ahead. Did you at that time know what that was going to be? Did you have a feeling, or did you like? Are you really like, yeah, uh, man, I don't know if this is going to be what it's supposed. To, you know, because you haven't, you didn't see the final yeah. project, uh, uh, product yet. Yeah, but did you? Did you have no. an inkling of what it was going to turn out to be like? No, I did. Yeah, I thought it was. I I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know it was going to be as big as it is today back then. I thought it was just going to be a regular, you know, bad news bears type of basketball movie. And it, I didn't have any idea it would be as big as it is now. Not even a clue. What so. was, what was it like? What, what were the steps that you had to do? Did you have to get a, a, a SAG card? Uh, is there a lot of rigmarole uh, to, to be able to be in a movie or to get a name within a movie? Well, no, I didn't have to get a SAG card I, because I didn't have any lines. So basically, I just went down there. When they told me to come down, I did my, we did a couple days of practice. And then we would get to the set at like 7 in the morning, the days we'd film, and, and you would go to like 8 o'clock at night. But you would get there, they would get you – in the dressing room, cut your hair, get some like makeup and stuff on your face, get your uniforms on. And then you would go out and you, you stood around half the day anyway, just kind of waiting on to do different scenes and stuff. And they would kind of choreograph what you would do for like the fight scene where the guy goes into the trophy case. We filmed that scene at least, at least four times. And they would bring in a new trophy case and replace the one that was Christ into uh, so, so tell me a little bit about you know, and and I I guess I'm probably like a kid at a candy store here because I want to know these uh, questions that you've answered probably hundreds of times. But you know how when you were a kid you got your uniform and you're like, oh man, this is cool. Yeah, I'm gonna wear it around the house a little bit or whatever. What uh, was what was your thought process when they gave you the Terra Hune jersey? I mean, was it was it a decent piece of material or was it you know it was. It was kind of a thin, it was a thin material. It was a cheap, and the shorts were like that silk material. <laughs> right. And it had a, had a little belt. I still got the uniform. I, the last day I filmed, I, I put the uniform in my Chuck Taylor Converse in my bag. I thought I knew that was the last day I was filming. <laughs> and I was thinking in my mind, I'm, just, I'm, this is, I'm taking this because this, you know, this is my uniform I wore in this movie. <laughs> We were supposed to turn it in when we were done. I just took mine home with me. I, and I've got it framed up in my basement now. So, so, so what, what were the takes like in doing that? Was it just like a regular uh, uh, pickup game? Or was, was was it just like acting? You guys need to score, blah, 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 blah. Or was did it, did it happen naturally? Or was it forced? Well, okay. So, like, the there were different parts where we had to do, like, a 
it was where it was choreographed, like the fight into the trophy case. That was kind of choreographed for, you know, this guy has to come and hit this guy. And, you know, the rest of you guys just kind of hold people back and kind of, you know, and then we go in and then the part where I get fouled and Dennis Hopper comes on the court drunk, <laughs> we had to do that a couple times. You know, it was all kind of choreographed. And then, uh, you know, but most of the part was where we would just run up and down the court and just say scrimmage and just kind of just do your thing for a half hour. And we would just kind of go up and down the court and kind of just play like scrimmage basketball. But, you know, obviously they didn't want us blocking people's shots. And, you know, you kind of had to shoot. They wanted you to shoot like one leg pull-ups and not regular 1986-style jump shots. <laughs> so... What was it like to, you know, to do those parts and then, you know, see a um, uh, Dennis Hopper, you know, come out in the court or see uh, uh, Hackman at on the set? What, you know, of course, of course, we were young at the time. You were young at that time and prior really didn't register. But did you still, you know, did you have an, a wow moment or was it just like, you know, let, we, we, we do this and, and then we're done? Like seeing the celebrities and stuff? Yeah. Like, well, you know, Gene Hackman didn't really, I mean, I never really was starstruck by Gene Hackman or, or Barbara Hershey, which was funny. I don't know if, if I was just naive or what, but I didn't realize Barbara Hershey was a Playboy Playmate of the Year until after, like, you know, five years after the movie. I was like, you know, that's kind of, that would be kind of neat to see a Playboy Playmate of the Year hanging out with <laughs> and stuff. But, but I was more, I thought Dennis Hopper was really cool. For one, he, I knew he'd been in two movies with James Dean. Right. Which, you know, being from Indiana, everybody loves James Dean or, you know, wants to, you know, the rebel. Everyone be like the rebel. So yeah, I kind of talked to him. And he was really a, a really nice guy. And he, he would, what was funny, when that scene where he came out on the court drunk, he would actually spin in the hallway and come out to, you know, look like he was drunk. Mm-hmm. And he told my dad, my and my my dad and I were talking to him one of the days we were filming. And he said, back in the day, I really, really would have been drunk. He said, that's why he said, that's why I have to just spin it now. Cause I don't drink or, you know, do that kind of stuff anymore. So did you go to the premiere of the movie or when, when did you first see the final, um, uh, product? Uh, I did not, I did not go to the premiere. I was going to, but I didn't, I was up at Fort Wayne, obviously when it came out. And then they had a pr- special premiere in Kokomo, and they wanted me to come and sign autographs at it. And they had my name up on the, up on the, you know, they had the movies up on the like the big billboard mm-hmm. out on the highway, and they had my name up there starring Jimmy Rail. And I'm like, I told my mom and dad, I said I'm not coming back and sign autographs because I thought it was going to be some kind of cheesy movie. I, I was more embarrassed about you know going up there and signing autographs than anything. So I didn't come to that one. So I just one day when I was at the IPFW, I just uh, went to the movies and watched it up there at the movie theater. I think one of my teammates went with me. Now I, I know I, I know you're going to tell me what you did, but when when I saw it at, at Glendale, right off of uh, Keystone and Kessler in Indianapolis, uh-huh. um, I mean, I mean, and I wasn't even I wasn't I was I was six degrees of separation away from it. I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. I was, I was, it, I was goosebumped. I don't know what did you think about it, or was the theater full when you oh. watched it, or would you come out going, "Damn, that's a good movie"? 
yeah, I, I thought it was a good movie. I, I, I didn't get tears back then, but now when I watch it with my kids, I kind of do. As I get older, I get more emotional about it. And my kids are like looking at me. They, they think I made my kids watch it last year for the first time ever. And they thought it was the dumbest movie ever. <laughs> and they're kind of like, this movie's not any good. I'm like, well, are you kidding me? I don't know if 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 the generations of you know, I don't I don't know if kids just don't watch movies like that anymore or what. But yeah, but I get emotional now when I watch it because I I think back and I, you know, well, first of all, I'm in it, and how good of a movie it's becoming, you know, how good of a movie it is now. So it's just how popular it is and it has became. And you go you go to a lot of these uh, uh, reunions and um, stuff, right? Yeah, well, I've only been to one of them, and it was at Banker's Life, and it would have that would have been in 2013. And what was that like? And uh, it was actually really fun. I, I mean, they had, I mean, all the they had not all the main players back, but they had I think four or five of them. They had a couple of the guys from the state championship game when they played like was it South Bend in the championship. Had a couple of those guys there, uh, myself. Uh, some of the like coaches and referees and uh, Angelo was there and David was there and we just had like a little meet and greet with all these people that came to it and signed autographs and then we went and watched a special uh, like a special edition version of the of the movie up in one of the suites it was, it was pretty cool what did you stick in your Converse that trip what did I stick in my? <laughs> you remember you I took nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, do you, do you? What else from there? What else did you? Um, you know, your your basketball career's over. You um, you you've kind of. I mean, what did you move on and do from there, Jimbo? Well, what happened is I I came back and finished school here in Kokomo, in the University of Kokomo. And while I was here, one of my buddies was a supervisor at UPS. He said, hey, I can get you on at UPS. You have to be in college to, to get a job. At the time, at UPS, you had to be in college to get a job. Now they'll just hire anybody. But So I thought, well, that's that's be a pretty good job, you know, making decent money, going to school. So I started working out there part-time. And I – I – just kind of got to looking at the, I had a couple guys that had worked there, you know, for 10, 15 years. They were telling me how good the benefits were and the retirement. And, and I'm thinking this probably would be a pretty good job. I could do this. And I'm young enough and at the time you could retire when you were 50. Then they changed it to 52, which I, I retired last year. I worked there for 30 years. Oh, wow. But, but once I got in there, my dad was like, my dad worked for Xerox and I mean, he had a good job, but like the insurance and stuff that UPS had and the benefits and the pension and the pay. I was, you know, 22. I'm thinking this isn't a, this isn't a very good job. And then I realized, heck, I was making a lot of, I was making more money than a lot of my friends that were attorneys and stuff at the time. Like, when does you know when was this set up or did you just roll this out on your own with the uh, delivering packages with the heart and the dance? 
Uh, that was right. That was uh, three months before I retired. Okay. Uh, I I had the same route for 23 years. Wow. And everybody in my everybody on my route knew me. I'm I'm kind of a cut up anyway. <laughs> well, these ring do- these ring doorbells, mm-hmm. you know, they started popping up about three four years ago. And I always would come up to the doors, and I would just always do like a moonwalk or a, you know some kind of crazy dance for the ring doorbell well this the, that singer drake had that song uh kiki do you love me which had a dance right so i basically was just doing that dance for the doorbell well this lady on my route put it on facebook and she sent she sent me a message i don't know if it was okay if i did that but, but she put me on there and i said yeah that's fine and Next thing I know, I mean, this is like she sent me the text in the ten o'clock in the morning. By two in the afternoon, it had already went like it already had a million views. It was everywhere. That's how quick it went viral. Next morning, it's on every TV station in the country. I got my buddies calling me from California and you know, all over going, Hey, I just saw you on the news this morning. So, and then my son comes home the next day after school and he goes, I don't know if I should laugh or cry about this <laughs> with dad being on this viral video. I'm, I don't know if I should be embarrassed or be happy for him. Kind of like how you thought your dad was at that age, probably, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and tell us about your kids now again. You you have one that's playing basketball and one that's a cheerleader? Yeah, I have, uh, my son will be a sophomore next year. And then uh, my daughter will be a sixth grader. And she's, she's actually a softball player and a cheerleader. And my son's a baseball player and a basketball player. You know, say what you want to say about Jimmy Chitwood. I, I, I don't I don't think that – I mean, he didn't even make his own high school team, did he? No, he did not. I think he went to uh, – Chittard. I either went – did he go to Bishop Chittard? Yeah, I think so. I think he did. I, was, I knew it was either Chittard or Ron Colley, one of the parochial schools. So, yeah, he didn't even play on his high school basketball team. And so uh, – it, 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 so also, are you in, in insurance? Do you do that part time, or are you just retired from UPS? Uh, I, well, so I, I retired from UPS, and then uh, one of my good friends here in Kokomo is a State Farm agent, and he played basketball in North Dakota State and baseball in North Dakota State. And uh, he said, "Hey, you ought to come work with me. You'll get your licenses and sell insurance. Many people, as you know, you could do really good at it." So I've got all my licenses, and I started selling insurance last April. So I've been doing it for a year and one month now Ah, for State Farm. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jimbo, what was it like sometimes to come home to the house and uh, uh, you there were people there to see your dad? What were, did you get to uh, you know see a lot of uh, former IU players or a lot of people come by the house to uh, chat or uh, spend some time with your dad that you're kind of like, wow, but maybe at that age you didn't kind of appreciate it, but you appreciate it now as you look back on it? Well, the one that I – this is the best one. When my dad was working for Xerox, John Havlicek was a spokesperson for Xerox. Well – I don't know why, how, for some reason he was in Indiana doing promotional stuff for Xerox. 
and they put him with my dad to go around to central Indiana. So lo and behold, uh, John Havlicek shows up at our house with my dad. And uh, my dad had called my mom and told her that he was coming. Well, word got out. The Kokomo Tribune was there. There, I mean, there must have been 25, 30 people in our driveway to see him and meet him. And uh, he signed autographs, and he took one shot in our driveway, and nothing but net. And he said, that's all I'm shooting is one. I'm one for one. <laughs> so John Havlicek has, had shot on my mom and dad's goal at their house, along with several other guys that you know came along the way and shot there too, so. What else does uh, Jimbo Rail do in uh, retirement? Uh, I go to a lot of Cubs games. I've got Cubs season tickets. So, but this year I haven't gone to a game because they're not playing. So <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of like in a. I'm depressed right now because I well, can't go watch my Cubs. Well, you got to find a, a positive in it, like we find it down here in Houston. This is going to be the first April that the uh, Astros have gone undefeated. Yeah, you know, and I was just. I, my buddy and I, another Cubs fan of mine, we were talking about this is the greatest thing for the Astros because by the time they get to play baseball, they're going to forget about all the <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and you know, you know why the, none of the Astros uh, uh, got the um, uh, the uh, the flu bug, the, right? Why, why is that? Oh, uh, they saw the signs. <laughs> they saw, <laughs> uh, someone hit. Someone. Someone was hitting the. Exactly. That's crazy to me. <laughs> you know, you chatted at, uh, at the beginning there a little bit about baseball. Uh, did you have a love for baseball? Did you play high school baseball? No, I quit after my freshman year. Okay. I was actually, I, I was probably better at baseball than basketball. But I just, I knew that, I guess I'm one of the first guys to say, I'm, I'm declaring I'm going to be a one-sport athlete in high school. <laughs> but I was ahead of my time. And why the Cubs? What's that? Why the Cubs? Why are you a, a Cubs fan? Uh, well, I, the reason I'm a Cubs fan, because that was the only station. Well, you, you get the Reds in Kokomo, Kokomo but the Reds were on, the, Reds were on the, the station out of Indianapolis, WTTV4, I think. But we always watched WGN and watched the Cubs. So, and the Cubs were always on in the afternoon because they never had light. They didn't get lights until That's 88. True. That's true. So as a kid growing up, we'd get out of school and we'd run home because we knew the Cubs were on TV, on WGN. So that's, and, you know, my dad took us up to Cubs games too. My dad, uh, actually, my dad was a really good baseball player. And after high school, the Cubs had been scouting some of his games. They back then there wasn't a they didn't have a major league baseball draft like they do now. But you know, he got a letter from the Cubs his senior year in high school that, hey, if you decide not you know, if you don't want to do your basketball, the Cubs we would be interested in taking a look at you further than, you know, because they liked what they saw, I guess. So. Man, I bet you got um, memorabilia on your left and on your right, and, uh, up in the attic, everywhere uh, uh, with uh, your stuff and, of course, your dad's stuff. Oh, I'm sitting in my office right now. I've got a autographed uh, ABA ball, 
uh, I've got his 56-point game ball against Michigan State right here in my office. My mom's got the Minnesota ball. Uh, yeah, I've got quite a bit of stuff in here. Uh-huh. I wish I had some of his pacers. I wish I had some of his pacer stuff. That'd be the stuff to have. The my uh, my athletic director in high school at Broderpool was Gene Ring, and um, Gene Ring was your dad's uh, freshman basketball coach. And uh, yeah, I remember you telling me that. Yeah, that's my that's my six degrees of separation to your dad. It was interesting in uh, trying to get your dad. When I got your dad on the program, he told me that, uh, um, and of course. I'm assuming this was your dad's sense of humor. He said, yeah, his his real name wasn't Gene Rang. It was Gene Ringanowski. Oh, <laughs> was it really? Yeah. And I'm going, okay. I'm like, okay, I think uh, I think Mr. Rail is jerking my chain. <laughs> was that true or not? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I wish That's at that point, stuff like- when I called him for the interview, I wish I would have recorded that portion of it because yeah, his real name was Gene Ringanowski. <laughs> like, oh my, Gene. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, Jimmy Jimbo Rail, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. I, I know we went a couple minutes along, but uh, we appreciate you uh, helping keep the nostalgia alive, talking about Hoosiers and uh, uh, talking about uh, 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 your life and, and hoops and, 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 you, and what can Brown do for you. Oh, yeah. I love it. Hey, I appreciate you having me on here, Billy. It was uh, fun chatting with you, and we'll do it again sometime. All right, Jimbo. Thank you again. All right. Hey, thanks, Billy. Nostalgia Live Show is proudly brought to you by the Hoosier Basketball Academy. Want to improve your game and be an elite athlete? Hoosier Basketball Academy, located in the heart of Hoosier Hysteria, provides an excellent opportunity for student athletes to improve their basketball skills. Their goal at Hoosier Basketball Academy is to provide an opportunity for young athletes to reach their full potential and allow them to compete at the highest level. Using their training model, They believe a solid foundation of fundamentals and muscle memory training is critical for the development of elite basketball players. This can only be achieved if you are mentally tough, have a strong work ethic, and are willing to sacrifice countless hours needed to be the best you can be. The Hoosier Basketball Academy offers high-intensity basketball training focusing on small groups and individual attention needed to improve your game, as well as specialized training and drills done at game speed to push you to your limits and improve overall physical conditioning. One of HBA's goals is to improve the skills and abilities of each player trained by focusing on ball handling, proper shooting mechanics, speed, agility, and footwork allowing you to take your game to the next level. This training is for players that are serious about improving their skills. Hard work pays off and gives you the competitive edge in practice that carries over to games against your biggest rivals. In addition to offering training, HBA fields highly competitive travel teams with many teams qualifying for nationals each year. Visit hbaelite.com for more info. Be elite and train to be the best.
Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Today with us is just a, a legend. Uh, he's one of the two or three names that come out of your mouth when you talk about Indiana high school basketball. He was 1959 Indiana Mr. Basketball, an All-American at Indiana University in 1950, uh, 1962 and 1963, Jimmy Rail, the Splendid Splinter. Jimmy, thank you so much for spending some time with us on Keeping the Nostalgia Alive. You're welcome. You know, Jimmy, what, your first recollection of the game of basketball, what was it? Oh, just a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun playing and just up and down, liked to run. That's why I went to IU to play for Branch. And my high school coach liked to run like crazy, and that's all we ever did was just run. We didn't slow the ball down. And it was just a lot of fun. That's how we played as kids growing up and just carried on right through college. Did you find it hard being, you know, a lot of people said you were like 140 pounds soaking wet. Did you find it hard with uh, being so skinny to be able to play the game as well as you did? No, not really. I, uh, I, was, I was light, but I, I was pretty quick, and uh, I never got hurt too much from falling down, like, all the time. But, I, you know, I, I didn't find it as a big disadvantage, no. Did you have a basketball hoop at your house growing up? No, I didn't. I played at neighbor's houses or at the school, places like that or down at our church gym. We had a little gym down at our church where I went and uh, had a buddy that ran the gym, an older fella, and uh, we was down there. We'd go down there and play till 10, 11 o'clock at night on the weekends, like that, yeah, stuff like that. I had plenty of places to play basketball. Was that church, was that nicknamed the Congo? Nicknamed the what? I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. The Congo? Yeah, Congregational Church Congo. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, when... that's, the, that's the church where I, we used to shoot free throws like crazy down there. Uh, ten at a time. One day we was down there and shooting with five other guys, and we'd shoot ten at a time, then rotate. And that's the day I hit 532 free throws in a row without missing. <laughs> wow. It was also one of those places, too, that people wanted to get you on their team so they could play most of the day or most of the night, because if you didn't, you'd have to wait a long time to get a game. Well, no, that was out at Foster Park. That was out the outdoor court. Okay. Yeah, an outdoor court. There'd be 25, 30 people show up down there on a summer night. Yeah. And if you lost, like your team lost, uh, it'd take you a while to get back in the have winners. So it was a... It was a while to, to play if you lost. That's the way that worked. Five over five hundred free throws in a row. I mean, how long did that take? Oh, about two or three hours. <laughs> yeah, we used to sit there and just do that by the hour to shoot free throws. But I remember that one day, five hundred and thirty-two. The reason I remember it was thirty-two. That was my number in high school. And, and was, did you miss five hundred and thirty-three, or did you just stop after five hundred and thirty-two? I think I might have missed. <laughs> no, I, I didn't stop. No, I didn't stop. I mean, I, I actually had to miss. But I'd, I'd still be shooting them today <laughs> if I made it. Before you, got anyway. to, before you got to Kokomo High School, what was their basketball program like before you got there? Oh, it was, it was good. We had a, a good coach, a guy followed by the name of Joe Platt, who used to be a good ball player. And, and uh, Kokomo High School basketball was, has always been real we're real good. Got a, I don't know if you ever, if I never 
seen our gym, and our gym holds, uh, it held 7,500 people. That's quite a bit today by today's standards. And I, I, have, I have been told also that, that it was sold out every night, and you actually, they had season tickets, and you, there, sometimes you couldn't go because there wasn't a seat in the house. That's, that's exactly right. It was sold out every night. When you got to Co- when you got to Kokomo, did you have instant success as a freshman? Oh no, I, I had good success as a, as a seventh, sixth, fifth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. I, I got the, my freshman year at Kokomo High School, and I never got to play a whole lot. They wouldn't. I never. They never played. I guess they thought I was too thin or small or whatever. Same as a sophomore, I never got to get in and play too much. So I got in a game and got. Like uh, I don't know, 16 points one night towards the middle of the season, and from then on, I just kept it. Just went well for me right through high school. But uh, getting the chance to play, uh, I think my size held me back, and no one thought you could play uh, as, thin, as skinny as I was. They kind of figured I couldn't play, so I had to kind of prove different on that a little bit. But I was fortunate. Did you, because you you thought that way, that they thought you were too skinny to play, did that make you uh, work at the game harder? Oh, I don't know if that made me work any harder. I did. I just I didn't consider it work. I just like playing basketball all the time. I played all. We played all the time. Some place there was a ball game going on, and everybody knew where it was at. And yeah. it was not a problem playing, finding places to play, and wanting to play. No. Did you did you play other sports uh, before? Uh, did I mean, did you play basketball? Did you play football? No, obviously I didn't play football, but I, <laughs> I played ba- I played baseball. I was on the varsity baseball team. Yes. Uh, what did you do for the baseball team? Did you pitch? No, played first base. First base. Yes. What kind of success did you have while you played at Kokomo? Did you guys do well in the tournaments? In high school, we got to the final game my senior year. And who'd you guys beat? Got beat by Christmas Addicts. And what was it like making it that final game? Oh, it was just uh, exciting as you could expect. You know, 15,000 people at Butler Fieldhouse. And it was, it was quite a deal. And exciting, no question about that. Do you think, uh, uh, on retrospect, when you look back on it, do you think there are things that you could have done different that you guys could have won that state championship? No, we got beat about 35 points, something like that. We got pretty well thrashed in the final game. So, no, they had they were six, 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 seven. They were like we were like men. They were like men playing against boys. They were so much bigger and stronger than we were. But uh, we did well for for what we had. Jimmy, when were you uh, first uh, on the, you know, who first recruited you, and then eventually, why did you pick Indiana University? Well, I'm trying to think. Uh, Branch McCracken was the coach at IU, and uh, I liked the way IU played basketball. That's the main reason I went to IU. Is that all they, they, they were called the hurrying Hoosiers because they ran all the time. And uh, I like to run our teams in high school. And the high school coach played played for uh, Branch McCracken at IU. So our, so our coach went to IU, and I just he kind of led me that way. And I liked the way they played ball down there, the style of ball they played. And 
it was fairly close to home, 100 miles, so I, that's the reason I went down there. Now, there's a story, and I think you have a ball there in your house that I'm speaking to you from, and uh, it has 56 on it, and he actually took you out of the game with three and a half minutes left. Is that correct? Well, that's not that game. Okay. The second, I got 56 twice. And go I don't ahead. know if you knew that or not. Uh, yes, go ahead and dwell on that a little bit for us. Well, the game he took me out, you mean, are you asking yes. about that? Yes, uh, that game, uh, I had 56 points with three and a half minutes to go, and he took me out of the game. And we were we were quite a bit ahead of the of the other team, Michigan State, and uh, and he took me out of the game. We was like 25, 30 points ahead when he took me out. So that was a normal thing to do, I guess, you know. But, but uh, I had three and a half minutes to go. And but the the crowd kind of booed, didn't it? Didn't they? Well, yeah, the crowd was not very happy that night. <laughs> how many? How no many? How many, th- how many do you think that you could have dropped? Could you, could you probably hit seventy? Well, you're talking about with a three-point line. Uh, I, have, I understand. I didn't have a three-point. Three, I didn't have a three-point. We didn't have a three-point line when I played. We didn't have anything like that. Plus, the clock didn't stop for traveling or anything like that. So games are a lot longer now than they were when I played. The only time the clock stop was like for a timeout or things like that. Jimmy, yeah. what, what did it mean to you and your family? And do you remember when you uh, got the phone call saying that you were uh, named uh, the 1959 Indiana Mr. Basketball? Uh, well, like you'd expect. We, everybody's pretty excited and felt, felt good about it. I mean, it didn't come really as a surprise because I'd scored a lot of points that year and averaged over 30 a game and so it wasn't a surprise, in a way, from that standpoint. But obviously, we felt good. What was your Indiana All Star experience like? Can you share with us? Yeah, it, it was good. We had had good players on the team, and we won both games. And uh, uh, I was uh, voted star of stars one in the game that. Indianapolis for having the you know for having a good game and it all went good. When you got to Indiana University, of course, at that time freshmen could not play uh, varsity uh, in college basketball. Were you uh, did you kind of enjoy playing on the freshman team? Did we kind of chomping at the bit to play varsity? Well, I I can't say I enjoyed playing on the on the on the freshman team is just uh any games you couldn't play any games. I mean you couldn't play varsity as a freshman. And uh it was just kind of a kind of a letdown from high school playing in front of seventy five hundred people every night and playing every, you know, varsity basketball, then going to college and playing on a freshman team and playing against the, your teammates. All you all we played was each other. We didn't have to play other teams or anything like out of the schools. So uh, it was kind of a letdown the first year or so. You know, when I first chatted with you about spending some time with us to uh, share your memories, um, I talked about my the person who instilled the passion of the game of basketball to me was my athletic director at Broadway High School, Gene Ring. Um, was he your freshman coach at Indiana University? Yeah, Gene was my freshman coach. Gene was a nice, nice man. Yes, 
Gene Ring. He was our was a freshman coach. That's that's true. Now you 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 were telling me that his real last name wasn't Ring. Ringnowski. I understood. <laughs> Gene Ringnowski. <laughs> Why did he change that art? Well, you'd have to ask Gene that, brother. <laughs> Imagine it's a little easier to say, isn't it? Wouldn't it be Ring instead of Ring Ringowski? <laughs> but Gene was a nice fellow. So going into your first year on varsity at Indiana University, what was travel like? Where were some of the favorite places that you liked to play uh, uh, basketball when you guys would travel? Well, we played all the Big Ten schools, and uh, that, was, that was the main places you'd go to, and all the schools in the Big Ten, and then. Uh, we went to California and played UCLA, and that one trip out there, a, a pretty long trip. Uh, that would be my sophomore year. But that, that was about just normal college teams, you know, Big Ten teams, mainly Big Ten and teams like that. What kind of squad, what kind of basketball teams did you guys have? What were some of your other teammates while you played at Indiana University? And did you guys ever have any tournament success while you were there? No, you had to win the Big Ten to even get in to play in the tournament. You you couldn't. You had you had to be the Big Ten champion to get in, and we never won the Big Ten. But uh, I played with some pretty good ball players, namely Walter Bellamy. You may have heard of him. Yes. Yes, he was quite a ball player. In fact, I locker red side Walter for a whole year. You also played with the Van Arsdale Twins, correct? Well, as I always say, they got to play with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just kidding. No, yes, I did. They were they were quite. And a fellow by the name of Tom Boyer was a good ball player, too, also a good ball player. Pardon? Steve Redenball, Van Arsdale, Twins, people like that. Yeah, they were, they were, they were really good ball players. When you guys played in the Big Ten, was there a place that you loved, that, that you felt like the basket was like a, a the C and you could hit anything you wanted to hit at any of those Big Ten schools? Uh, not really, other than the, our home court at IU. We had a r- real nice gym. It, was a, it wasn't a – it was a kind of a temporary place before they built the great big arena down there. It was a, it was a field house, and uh, it was brand new when I went down there. When it, I played in the first uh, – years that it was built and it was a nice real very nice facility but it, i didn't get to play in the, the assembly hall which was seated like seventeen thousand five hundred. where i played it they seated about ten thousand what was the atmosphere like at indiana university during a game were the the fans passionate where you know did you feel like you had an edge because of the fans I think we definitely did. Yeah, the fans were all they were as loud and like you'd expect, and uh, and with the style of ball we played, people just liked it. We ran all the time, and we never slowed the game down. We just kept ran forty minutes, and uh, and the fans liked it. And we had places sold out every night. And we had we had had it pretty nice, to be honest about it. Had it real nice. While you were at Indiana University, it was that after the uh, football scandal, and were you guys on probation? Uh, that, that's true. They were on probation, uh, and that, what that meant was we couldn't play in the postseason tournaments or things like that. And pretty much what it amounted to. 
tell everyone who's listening, you know, what was your thought process? I mean, was Branch, did Branch let you just let it fly whenever you, you wanted to let it fly? Well, he never told me not to shoot or anything <laughs> like that. And uh, like I tell people, if I wasn't making a certain percent of them, they wouldn't be, I wouldn't be playing. So I kind of boiled down to that. But my high school coaches what led to that he played for branch and he liked the he liked liked the run and i he liked the fact that i would run and shoot it was just a kind of a match made in heaven what would get you fired up before the game just your passion for the game and love for the game or did anything when you would have a matchup with players or with a, a team did anything fire you up or did you have to get mentally motivated no, just the just the game itself. It, it, no, it wasn't a certain. Uh, some games are bigger than others, you know. Meant more, but uh, we just we just enjoyed playing it. I don't think people realize how much we enjoyed playing basketball back then. We played ball here and locally in Kokomo. We we play every. I'd be playing every day somewhere, and practically all day in the summertime. You know, it's just all we did was play basketball. I think, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me, you own like eight out of the top ten top ten scoring uh, games in Indiana University basketball history. That sounds like it might be about right. Yes. And 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 the nights that you were just just killing it, just hitting shot after shot. Is there something about being in a flow? Was there ever a time that you weren't in a flow? Well, some some nights are you know you have better nights than others, obviously, but. Uh... You could kind of feel like it, like things were going pretty good when you things when you were hitting quite a few shots. Yes. Did your weight play a factor in your college ball? Well, I, I don't know what you mean. Play a factor? You mean made me faster? Uh, faster? Did you gain any weight from uh, going from Kokomo to Indiana University? No, about the same. Just about the same. Maybe maybe five pounds or so. This close. Once you got you, you, you're all American in '62, all American in '63. You're getting ready to graduate. Uh, what was the NBA like back then? Was it like what it is today? No, I, I don't know how how much how it is today, but they uh, it was it was uh, I don't know what you mean what it was like. It was just you know, for all the best players played and. Uh, and uh, I never got a chance to play in the NBA. I played in the ABA. Right, I understand that. But you know, you you, you get you're coming out of Indiana University. You still want to play basketball. So, what direction did you take in life? Well, I played for Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company over in Akron, Ohio, for a, a year, and that was a good team, also over there. Very good team. Then the ABA started up, and that's when I went to Indianapolis and played for the Pacers. Jimmy, when did you uh, first meet your wife, Nancy? In high school. Oh, your high school sweethearts. Right. How many children do you have, Jimmy? We had four. Any of them follow your footsteps in playing basketball? Yeah, I had three boys, and uh, all three of them played high school basketball, yes. Junior college and so forth, yes. Can you tell us how the uh, Pacer uh, went? Uh, how you, did you get a tryout with the Pacers? Did they sign you as a free agent? How did that work out? Well, I'm trying to think. We uh, 
I th- I think they just signed me up as a, as a kind of like a free agent type thing. I didn't have to try out or anything like that, as I recall. And uh, it went very smooth the first year. I think you averaged uh, close to 13 points your first year, correct? Uh, something like that, 13, 12, 13 points, yes. Do you feel like if the ABA was there as soon as you graduated college, you would have had a lot longer basketball career? Uh, it's possible. I had to. I didn't play for about uh, team for about two or three years. I went to Goodyear than the than the Pacers. It's hard to say if I would have helped. And then you were you were with uh, Xerox for close to thirty years, right? Thirty, on the right on the nose, yes. And do you, you know? I, I I've read a lot. I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but. You know that you know that puts you really in a tough spot, and you were probably down on yourself for a little while when they did. Uh, uh, and you know, I read where uh, Slick was a part of that decision not to bring you back and let you go from the Pacers. Do you still hold? Are you still upset about that, or can you chat with us about that a little bit? Well, I can chat with you about that. At the time, anybody would be a little upset being released from the team because I was a starter. I'd been starting there all along, and. Uh, and go from a starter and not being on the team is, is, is a little upsetting. But uh, Slick and I, I get along fine with Slick. He stopped by my house here about ten, uh, two weeks ago. So, I mean, that, that's quite a quite a time difference there. So, so, did, see Slick one. so, so Slick came up and knocked on your door and you guys chatted for about a half hour. Yeah, he came in the house. Yeah, sure. Yeah? Yeah. Here in Kokomo, he was in town for something. I forget what it was for, but him and his wife came in the house and visited for a half hour or so, yes. You know, yesterday I was thinking about some questions that I was going to ask you on the show, and I opened up the refrigerator, and I was going to get a Coke, but there was no Cokes in there. The only thing my wife had in there was ginger ale. Right. Now, uh, you, is <laughs> is that your favorite drink? Is Was that your nickname at Indiana University? Uh, fill us in on that a little bit. Well, that's what the Van Arsdales would call me. They use that. They, they, they call me that, you know. And then the, we actually named our daughter that too when we had a daughter later in life. I have a daughter named Ginger Ale. <laughs> her name. You know, it's it's interesting because I talked to Tom Van Arsdale uh, last week, and uh, uh-huh. and of course his brother has had a stroke. I have had a stroke, and I hear that you have had a stroke. Has that slowed you down any? I guess also once you did have your stroke, they did open-heart surgery. You've broken a hip. Uh, how, how does Jimmy Rail get around today? Well, I kind of I, I get around. I, I don't have to use it. I walk. I mean, it just kind of takes me to first get up from a chair or something. It takes me a little while to get, you know, a couple steps to loosen up. But I, I, I don't do bad. I try to walk every day to get my exercise and uh, it could be a whole lot worse I'll put it that way you know when we were chatting before we uh, had this interview you uh, said that uh, uh, did you ever have uh, do any one-on-one or have any kind of contest a horse contest with uh, Rick Mount yes he did he, he stopped by my house here uh, oh, it's been years ago when he was doing a clinic up at the Copa High School and he stopped by the house, and we got to shooting baskets on my goal and drive down in our driveway. And uh, 
we played one game and what happened? He got ahead in the horse game and I kind of caught him and, and, uh, Rick and I both decided we probably just called a tie. So we didn't, it wasn't a winner in the first, first, you know, one, first only game we played, it ended up in a tie. <laughs> What'd you guys stop on? HOR? Yeah, we both had HOR. Yes. <laughs> exactly right. Was there a, um, was there any kind of competition between you and Rick Mount? Well, no, because I was older than he was, and he wasn't. Uh, I never, never played together. You know, just not that I recall. I mean, he went to went to Purdue, and I mean, he was like I say, younger, so I never had to play against him or anything like that. But uh, there's no question he was he was good. I played against Terry this year, and he was awful good too. He was my age. Terry was. Uh, and he was uh, from Terre Haute? Yes. What were some of the other greats that you played against or you found difficult, difficult to guard or possibly they were difficult to guard you and that's why you put up so many points? Well, I didn't have to, to uh, guard him, that's for sure. Uh, John Havlicek. Oh, wow. was one. He was, in fact, he stopped by my house not a while back, and not a while, but several years ago, he stopped by, and I had a bunch of people knew he was coming by, and they down in my driveway, and they all had, I bet we had 25 people down there to see him when he came to, he worked for, uh, did advertising for Xerox, and he was, I knew he was coming to Kokomo, so he, uh, the guy was taking him around, dropped by our house to so he could, I could see him, meet him down here on the driveway. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of Larry Siegfried. I thought was always very good, and Terry Dishner and people like that. There's a lot of good ball players back in the in the day. Jimmy, what was it like? And do you remember getting the phone call from the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame that you're inducted as a member? Well, I don't know. I just figured. Uh, the people I knew were in the Hall of Fame. I figured I had, you know, comparable careers and so forth. So it didn't come as a, that big of a surprise or anything like that. But I feel like I was fortunate to be in there and, and glad that they voted on it. And the way it turned out, yes. Can you tell us all about the Church Street shootout between you and Ron Pavey? It was Ray Pavey. Ray Pavey, uh, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, well, this game was just one of those games back. Like I say, we ran a lot and back and forth. And uh, next thing you know, the game was uh, over with. And I don't think either one of us realized how many points we, we both had. We, I mean, we weren't playing against each other. We were just trying to, to win the game, you know. And the next thing we know, the game was over with, and they won. And uh, Ray had 51, I had 49, so it was quite 100 points between us. Can you can you can you imagine? You know that game is still talked about today, and it's it's almost folklore. When you were a part of it, could you imagine what that game means today to a lot of people? No, I haven't given it much thought. I just know it was a lot of points for for no three point shots or anything like that. We didn't have the three point shot, and the games weren't as long as they are now, so. For the circumstances, that was a lot of a lot of points. When you played for the Pacers in the ABA, was was it a different ball game from the college game, and how did you have to adjust to it? 
Uh, it seemed like it was about the same to me anyway. It seemed like it. I mean, we we ran and we didn't. We had the shot clock, so uh, I think it was a thirty-second shot clock, and so you had to get the shot off fairly quick when you got the ball. So it was about the same. Your confidence level. I mean, you would really throw up shots from from way out. Yeah, no question about that. Is that something that you would practice, or is that just something that was just natural ability? Well, I don't know. I, I had to practice a lot from as a kid growing up. I used to. It just didn't happen overnight. I mean, I didn't start <laughs> shooting long shots. So, uh, no, <laughs> I shot long shots from grade school on up. I would say. You know, you you, you we talked about. Uh, hitting all of those free throws in a row, what kind of free throw shooter were you in both college and in the ABA? Uh, around 89%. What was travel like in the ABA, and who were some of the big names that you played against? Oh, uh, Rick Barry, I guess, would be the first name. Yeah. But just, I, I can't think of anything off the bat of my head, but Connie Hawkins. People like that, that's about as good as it gets, Rick Barry and Connie Hawkins. Did they have the three-point line when you played in the ABA? Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. Was that one of your favorite places to shoot from, or were you more of a, uh, you know, off the dribble? Well, three-point line was not that far. It was, it was kind of like a, wasn't a real long shot. I used to shoot that far out as a kid, really, so that wasn't a big deal, but, Anyway, uh, you know, it sounds like you know, uh, it sounds like I'd enjoy uh, uh, spending some time at your house with uh, Havlicek coming to see you, uh, Slick Leonard coming to see you. You know, um, what does Jimmy Rail do in retirement? Well, I've I've had some health problems, so I, I normally just stay around the house here every day and uh, don't do too much. I try to walk every day and exercise, but not too much. Just watch ball games on television not like normal people do i guess i don't play golf or anything like that no are you a fan of the college basketball game today and do you still watch it and who are you interested in watching oh watch we watch iu games and purdue and we we've gotten to know we know the coach at purdue matt painter is a friend of mine so i've known matt since he was in high school and uh we like to pull for for matt and purdue and watch their games now, you actually kind of uh, uh, found Matt Painter, right? Yeah, I was helping uh, Basil Malvey here, the coach at Kokomo uh, at the time, and uh, we were scouting. Uh, we scouted Matt Painter uh, in, in a high school game. That's where I first saw him, and I was scouting, uh, helping Basil scout uh, in those days, and I saw Matt play one night, and he, he impressed me all I thought he was quite a, quite a good ball player. Yes. Um, you had a you had a conversation with Judd Heathcote from Michigan State. Um, yeah. And and can you tell us? It, it was kind of a funny story when I read it about. Uh, uh, do, can you tell us about that conversation? Do you recall it? Well, that was when uh, we was trying trying to help uh, Matt get a college scholarship, and I I knew Judd, and I. And I 
thought maybe that would be a place that they could take a look. Judd was going to come down and watch him play a, a sectional game over at Delta, over at high, Delta High School. And uh, anyway, I called Judd up to talk to him about Matt Painter, and Judd got on the phone and said, Jim Rail, all time leading scorer. That's how he answered the phone. Judd was kind of a funny guy. I said, no, I wasn't. Judd, I said, but I would have been if I played you every night. Because I, my senior year against Michigan State, I got 56 and 44. I got in two games, played them twice. And I got 100 points in two games. So that's 50-point average. I averaged 50 against Judd my senior year. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, do you um, do you get back to Kokomo High School? Do you uh, see any of the games at Kokomo High School? It, uh, what do you think of the game of basketball in high school today in Indiana? Oh, I don't go to many high schools. The lights uh, bother my eyes, so I don't go to to many high school games. No, I don't. But I, what I see on television and everything, they're just typical high school. They don't run like we used to or teams used to, I don't think, as much, but the boys all play hard like 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 you'd expect, yes. Do you think that the game has been ruined when they went to uh, all the, you know, class the class system? Oh, I don't think so. I, I enjoyed the I think I met the state championship meant more when you could win it and just everybody's in the same pot, so to speak, but uh, it gives more, more uh, teams a chance to, to, to do well. And that's the way it is. Not much you can do about it. Was there another Jersey or another university that you possibly would have went to besides Indiana University, or was it a given that you were going to go to IU? Uh, I think IU is about the only place I was considered when I was in, in high school. My coach, my coach went there, and high school coach went to IU, and that's that's where I was. I'm pretty sure that's where I was going to go. Yes. What was Branch McCracken like as a um, someone outside of the coaching realm? Was, was was he a good guy? Did he do a lot for his players? Oh yeah, he was, couldn't have been a much nicer guy than, than Branch. He was uh, he was just as nice as you could be, and and uh, a gentleman. Top top it all off, he was a gentleman from the word go, and uh, and had a lot of respect from everywhere. Yes, Branch was a, was a great man, and. Not only as a coach, he was a good ball player too. Was there what was travel like? Did you guys fly? Did you guys take a bus? Was there any near uh, death experiences that you can share with us? No, nothing like that. We just took a DC three on road games. All we just a twin engine plane. That was it. Get in the plane and go. <laughs> that was it. DC three. We didn't have jets back in in that and in those days to fly on. On on the Big Ten game, we just take a DC three. When you look back, Jimmy, is there anything you would have done differently? Not really, that I can think of. I've, I've just been feel like I, well, I, I feel like for my size and everything, being 145, 48 pounds, I feel like I was pretty fortunate to, you know, do as well as I did. No question about that. Your Mr. Mr. Basketball Award, do you have it also in the house? Well, I don't think they gave me I, I'm trying to think. I don't think I got an award, just that they named me. That, that, that's, you know, that's what they was named, Mr. Basketball. And 
got to wear that number one jersey. So that was about, about it, yeah. Did you keep the number one jersey, or did you keep anything, any memorabilia from Indiana University? You know, sure, yeah, I got all that stuff here. We got so much stuff in this house. It's <laughs> a battleship. <laughs> need a bigger house. That was crazy thing we got around here. Yeah. Well, I have been joined by Jimmy Rail, an Indiana high school basketball legend, Indiana University Hurry and Hoosier, All-American in 62-3, and Mr. Basketball in 59. Jimmy, thanks so much for taking some time to help us keep the nostalgia alive, and uh, I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy this program. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, thanks. Thank you, and I appreciate it. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye-bye.